welcome to this week's Fit for Purpose podcast. Uh, this week we're talking to David Meads of Cisco. Um, we're going to be really focusing in on what is levelling up goal 10, the, the digital divide. And of course, Cisco is really the perfect partner for us to be working with on this because its expertise as a worldwide leader in IT networking and cyber security solutions is obviously well known. But I think perhaps one of the issues we really want to focus in today is beyond, if you like, that core purpose of the business. This is a company that's doing great work on boosting digital skills and tackling the digital divide across the UK. So it's probably perfect for us to be able to talk to David Meads and his role and perhaps um, you can tell me a little bit about what it actually means, is Chief Exec of Cisco for UK and Ireland. So, David, perhaps tell people you know, who are listening to this a little bit about literally what you end up doing day to day, but also then your sense um, as Chief Exec for UK and Ireland of what the digital divide means for our country um, and for the territory, if you like, that you look after for a business. Thank you, Justine, and thank you for having me um, on the on the podcast. So, um, yeah, very briefly, without making it a Cisco commercial. So, um, Cisco's business, as you said, is providing um, connectivity, secure connectivity to businesses. So, we, we're not a consumer brand. Um, many many people listening won't have heard of us, but. Um, if you're a company, large or small, private or public sector, um, the chances are you use some of our kit to connect and, and hopefully to do that securely. Um, we have uh, 3,000, just over 3,000 people based in the UK. Um, about half of those people, probably two thirds of those people are customer facing. Uh, and the rest of those people are you know, from different parts of the business, whether it's engineering or um, you know, back office uh, administration. Uh, my, my job in as chief executive will first and foremost is to make sure that we have um, many happy customers and that we grow our business because, you know, at the end of the day, we are a public company and, and we have shareholders to keep happy. Um, but I guess it's much broader than that in terms of what I do every day. Well, every day is different, you know, from from having these opportunities to speak with people like yourself, uh, meeting with customers, meeting with the team, trying to address issues which are important to us in terms of our culture and you know our diversity agenda um no no two days are the same uh, and that's one of the reasons why i love the job um leading to the question i guess in the conversation that we want to have you know digital divide um you'll hear me talk a little bit as we go through the conversation about about the cisco broadband index which we recently launched um as an emea wide um uh, survey but but in in the uk we had 2000 respondents uh, from many different backgrounds, and it gave us some really interesting insights as to what the digital divide means and some of the areas that you know, we're trying to uh, consciously, not single-handedly, but 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 as a large company and a large brand, help to shine a light on and to address. Um, may, maybe some examples of you know to try and bring that digital to divide to, to to life. I guess um, there's a few examples that I could share with you, and I think yeah, about maybe um, maybe also tell us about your broadband index and and what the headlines were you know maybe what surprised you that came out of it candidly i'm not sure that that, that much of it surprised me if i'm honest um <laughs> you know i'll give you some of the data points so you know, more than half of the workers that we we interviewed uh, you know, are now spending seven days sorry seven hours a day online 
um, compared to, to, to something a lot less um, pre-pandemic. So obviously a lot of this is about the, the effect the pandemic has had. Um, you know, three quarters of them are telling us that, they're, uh, that the level of internet usage is never going to go back to pre-pandemic. It's going to only increase. Um, you know, we, we found that, that, that uh, I think nearly 70% of the workers in the UK believe that economic growth must be built on better internet access. And I guess one fact that's worth us kind of just unpacking a little bit, um, because I think this really does speak to the heart of the challenge that we've got. You know, we hear data points such as 96% of people across the UK have access to connectivity. Um, that in itself would suggest, well, actually, we're okay. We haven't really got a problem, have we? 96% is, is great. Well, I, I, I dig a little bit deeper on that because that's that's access to connectivity. Actually, only 60% use the service. So that poses some questions. It's one thing to have the potential to have access, but what about the affordability? What about the, um, the quality of that service? What about the 4%, which equates to 2.7 million people who don't even have access? That's a real light on the digital divide. You know, that means that 2.7 million people, when we get, when we refer back to the the point that you know people believe that economic growth must be built on better internet access, so 2.7 million people do not have access. It means they're not going to be able to participate in the economic growth and the economic recovery that we all need and crave. So, um, I don't want to throw too many data points to you, but those are perhaps just some of the highlights, Justine. And I think what's what's steadily become ever more clear is that if you look, say, three, four, five years ago, looking at some of those stats on connectivity, um, internet usage, actually, for people at home, we probably would have thought, well, it's good for them to be on the internet because it's something that they use. I think now, if it wasn't clear before, it really is clear that people need to not only be connected up but it's whether they're connected up well enough for the usage that they're going to have at home and as you say increasingly that usage isn't just recreational whatever people need it's actually for a work purpose so it's about being able to hold down a job and and do that successfully as well it, it is and, and and i'd say it's not just you know it's not just focused on the workforce i mean the broadband index talked you know very much about the workforce but Let's look at society more broadly and, and look back at some of the experiences in the last year, the last 18 months with the pandemic. Um, you know, we know it was, and I know this is a passion of yours, given one of your previous roles, but you know, we know children were struggling to participate in online learning. Um, some of them was because they didn't have devices, they didn't have access because of the social situations they found themselves in. And even those that could, you know, there were challenges around, could, could they do it safely and securely? Um, one of the things that I'm particularly proud of is the um, you know, we partnered with the Department for Education and Computer Centre, who are a Cisco partner, to deliver secure devices to children who needed that additional support. Um, but you know that that hasn't solved the problem. That, that those sort of issues around the security and making sure, particularly you know, whether you're adult or whether you're uh, a child, that you've got access to the right things and securely, and that your data is secure. Um, also looking at another demographic, you know, that 16 to 24 year age group, we, we um, one, one of my, uh, aside from my day job, I also sit on the board of Tech UK, who are an industry uh, body um, representing all of the technology industry across the UK. And we work with them 
um, in uh, a report in the early part of the pandemic. Uh, and it, it told us that three quarters of the people between the ages of 16 to 24 wanted to gain more digital skills in the next 12 months. Um, you know, 75% of that population, that's a, that's a huge population. And, and you know, one of the reasons why we were very pleased to partner uh, with the DfE around a skills toolkit, uh, bringing, and I think we'll talk more about this as we go, but bringing some of the experiences and some of the capabilities of our networking academy programs um, to, to help benefit some of that population. Uh, a positive data point, by the way, and it's, you know, there's lots of baby steps required here, but since the launch of that, that skills toolkit, we've had over 22,000 people who've registered for courses around Python, which is a programming course as well. So, yeah, there's lots of things going on, but, but there's, there's still a lot more to be done. And obviously Cisco as a company has had this fantastic pledge to positively impact 1 billion people by 2025. Tell us a little bit about the pledge, but, you know, for some of those people, those communities, what does it mean for them? How, you know, tell us a little bit more about how you're bringing it alive. You, you, you briefly mentioned about some of the skills work that you focused on. Yeah, um, so, so I'll come on to some of the specifics in a, in a moment, but, uh, you know, we, our purpose, I think lots of large corporations have a purpose. Uh, we do too. Uh, and our purpose is about building an inclusive future for all. Um, I think that's the, you know, we probably could all be quite cynical about about some corporations. I, I genuinely believe that this is something which is built into the fabric of our culture as a company from the very top down. Um, so it's not just uh, you know, having a fancy statement we can put on the top of PowerPoint slides uh, or, or a, a corporate report. It's ingrained in in what we try and do. And the reason why it's so important is because, you know, we are one of very few organizations who can make a difference. We what we do is build the technology and give the reach to help connect people. And all right, we happen to be focusing our business model on businesses, but that extends to those businesses providing the infrastructure so that consumers can connect and connect securely. So, um, you know, if, if, if we were speaking to our chairman and CEO now, he would tell you, you know, we have a responsibility, a moral responsibility, because we have that capability and it's quite unique. And there's no reason why we can't balance delivering against that moral responsibility, whilst also delivering on you know, the responsibility we have to shareholders. So um, it is something that we believe um, passionately about. And, and I think it's something which you know, determines who we are as a company and our culture. And one of the reasons why we, we, we're one of the best places to work uh, around the world. Um, but some of the things that we do tangibly to drive that, you're, you're right, I did mention the Networking Academy program. So, this was a global program that, that, that started over 20 years ago. Um, but back then, Justine, the truth was this was all at the time, this was as much self-serving as mm -hmm. it was, you know, to do the right thing, because we know, um, you know, ever since the company has been in existence, which is about 35 years now, we know that, that the biggest challenge we've got to driving this technology out to help organizations is the lack of skills. Um, it's not, it's not can you solve a problem with the technology so much as do you have the people who can bring that technology to life? So we set about creating the Networking Academy program. Um, it's grown greater than we ever thought it could. We've now had worldwide 20 million people who participated in that program. And they can participate from anything from um, a basic understanding of ICT as a curriculum um, to 
industry certifications for which there is a high demand in the job market around networking, around cybersecurity, around data analytics, any number of different uh, areas of curriculum. So it's it's just grown like wildfire worldwide. Um, from a UK perspective, we now have 300 of these academies operating today in the UK, and they're across the UK. They're not just in the southeast, so that's great in terms of the digital divide. Um, and these these uh, academies can vary from being um, uh, universities, colleges. Um, we have corporations who have academies that they sponsor. We even have academies in prisons, helping to 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 you know people who, who've offended to. You know, gain new skills and we've got some amazing stories of people who've done that. Um, so in the UK, 300 academies, 500,000 people since inception have gone through the academies in the UK and we're, you know, we're more than 50,000 and growing at a healthy rate every year. So um, it is making a difference, there's no question, but I don't want to project the, the suggestion that you know, we're solving the di digital divide problem on our own because we're not, but it's, but it, but it's certainly an example of how industry can can make a difference, not just leaving it to government. And so if someone's listening to this and thinks, actually, this sounds really great and it's definitely something I'm interested in, how would they go about getting involved and, and being able to take advantage of a, a Cisco networking academy? What, what do you do next? Um, I guess it's the age-old answer, Justin. Google Cisco Network Academy. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it will take you to where you need to go and it will give you visibility of where the nearest academy is to, to wherever you happen to live. And, and you will see from there what's available in terms of the curriculum uh, and, and how to get engaged and how to get enrolled. So it's as simple as that. I think that's really, really clear cut. And of course, as you said earlier on, talking about Cisco's purpose of really building an inclusive future for all, I guess that starts with your business. And one of the things I was interested in was the work that you're doing inside the company and the culture in a way that means you can really bring that alive for your own employees. So it would be great to hear a little bit about how you go about doing that. I joined one of your um, your all staff meetings and it was really great to be part of that. But it was also really interesting to hear people talk about, you know, what, being inclusive meant to them in terms of Cisco as an employer. So how do you how do you actually create the right sort of culture in, in your business? Um, it's I don't think there's a secret source to this one. I think um you know I, I'd say there's two fundamental um elements to it. One is um it's it has to start from the top of the business and top of the organization and you you know um you 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 have to lead from the front, right? Uh, and I'll just give you a, a, a little um um, example of, of of how that really came to the fore in Cisco uh, a year or so, so ago. And during the pandemic, one of the things that we've been trying to do at a local level, but also a global level, and certainly in the early stages of the pandemic, was making sure that our employees felt connected and felt engaged, knowing that, that overnight 75,000 people started working from home. And for some people, that was a, a, an easier experience than others. Um, so you know, we needed to make sure that we we were trying to keep connected and keep those teams engaged. And um, we've had we, we we were having company check-ins every week, which have you know subsequently um, gone to every couple of weeks. Um, but it was really a case of over connecting um, or over communicating with our with our teams and making sure that they had visibility as to what we were doing to help and support them. But also during those sessions, 
you know, we had our, our, our senior leaders and our CEO acknowledging some of the challenges that they were facing, you know, regardless of your position, um, none of us have been through this experience and, and showing that vulnerability and authentic leadership. I think, you know, when people see your chairman and CEO, um, you know, having those moments, it, it really does bring to life the culture that we've got. So there is this leading from the front and, and, and being seen to embrace and embody those principles. But with the principles we set um, under what we call our conscious culture, we set very, six very clear um, guiding principles. And you know, we're not going to have time to go into all of them, but I will perhaps double click on one of them um, as part of the um, response to your question. So the six principles was give your best, give your ego the day off, give something <laughs> of yourself. Be great if we had that in Parliament, wouldn't it? <laughs> wouldn't it just you would know better than me of course um uh, i'm not talking about you i'm talking about your your, your previous colleagues um take accountability take a bold step and then the last one which might be worth double clicking on is take difference to heart uh and and that's something that that since i've been in this role i've really tried to shine a light on and you know take difference to heart when you start to unpack that what does that mean it means that we need to create an environment where we can recognize the diversity that we have and recognize where we don't have enough diversity in the organization. And we have employee resource groups, which many corporations do, where, where if, you, you know, if you want to be part of a particular community, whether it's um, the LBGTQI uh, or whether it's um, the Connected Black Professionals or uh, we have uh, mental health groups, we have cancer support groups, we have about eight or nine active groups uh, operating in the UK. Um, all of those groups have senior members of the company uh, in the UK who are sponsoring them. And what we've tried to do is, is uh, shine a light on each of those different um, uh, diverse groups. And we've had some pretty difficult conversations over the, um, the last 18 months. We've used the, the all staff meeting that you very kindly attended um, as a forum to have those conversations and and you know there have been some amazing moments particularly where we've talked about um, people's lived experiences um, we, we, we've had some very emotional um, conversations around mental health which have been very poignant given the challenges that many people have been facing we've had some difficult conversations around um, you know, ethnicity and black lives matters and um, I think Back to the kind of question, the culture that we try to live every day, um, I think, is is exemplified by those guiding principles. And, and you know, I believe strongly about it. It's it's part of my makeup. It's not it's not a, a suit I, I have to wear. It's something that that, that that really matters to me personally. And I'm fortunate to be in a position where I can make sure that, that I continue to shine a light on it and, and, and lean in and learn about it. And I guess it's, you know, obviously you're in a, a leadership role now and it is about leadership. There's no getting away from it. Um, you know, it, it absolutely sets the tone. But just tell us a little bit, you know, and you talked about purpose. I mean, tell us a little bit about, if you like, what's what's at the heart of your own purpose, David? And, and maybe the journey, you know, not everyone ends up becoming CEO of, of Cisco for UK and Ireland. Tell us a little, maybe let's start with your purpose, but also then the journey that you've you've had yourself, almost how that informs how you're a leader today. Yeah, I think um, I, I've, I've, as long as I can remember, you know, as a child, I, I was always and, and am very competitive. 
Um, but, 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 and I don't know if this is the same for everybody who's competitive. For me, I'm most competitive with myself. It's not, it's less about, you know, beating others. Of course, you know, I used to play football and I played golf and you know, these things. Actually, golf is not the example. Golf's an example of the, of the other. So, you know, I've been, I played team sports and I want to beat the other side. Of course I do. But there's something in me which is about being the best that I can be. And if I, if I could be better at golf or if I could run faster, you know, I, I've been driven to always try and do that. And I think that, that that certainly has been part of my career journey. You know, when I was uh, first joined Cisco, which was in 1996, I was a sales guy in Cisco um, and, and I was driven to be the best sales guy that I could be. Um, part of that was about ego, which I think if most people, if you're in sales, you need to have a bit of an ego. But it was that competitive piece in me, which is then, I think, it's, it's shone through and continues to shine through in my career, but in different ways. And as I've got into more senior positions and, and, and now in this position, I think the purpose, whilst I'm still driven to be the best that I can be, I, I'm now in a position where I can actually help others to be the best that they can be. Uh, and that's really what, what that probably means more to me now than, 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 than it did you know, years ago, A, because I'm in a position to do that and B, because I guess I've got the benefit of the experience as well. So um, helping others, you know, spotting talent, um, see, spotting the potential and, and then helping people, providing an environment, whatever, however that manifests itself, for people to be the best that they can be. Uh, and whether that's, you know, for example, this week, it just so happens we're doing our fourth cohort of work experience um, since the pandemic started. So we've, we've, this is the fourth virtual work experience that we've done, work experience week that we've done with 100 um, young people uh, aged 15, 16. And I was asked to, to, to start the week on Monday morning just by giving an introduction to them. And, and, and you know, people don't have to persuade me to do that. I do that and I get <laughs> great energy from seeing all of these young people and the journeys that lay ahead of them and just giving them the encouragement and, and providing hopefully an opportunity for them to, to be the best that they can be. And would you say you're someone maybe who's had mentors and, and in a way now from your perspective, you can, you, you see the, the impact it had for you, but you can put that back or, or, or actually is it that, maybe you did so much of the journey on your own you know what a bit of a helping hand would have would have made in terms of difference yeah um a bit of both um i, I wouldn't say that i've you know I've, everything i've achieved i've you know, done without any help of course i've had help along the way and um you know i've been very grateful for the different people i've worked for and alongside and i think if i'm honest if i reflect on it you know i've learned a lot from from all of the people I've worked with and alongside, I've learnt from from the best bosses I've had. I've learnt from the worst <laughs> boss I've had in terms of you know maybe things you know not how not to to manage people and um, so I, I've definitely benefited from those experiences. Um, but I think you know I've also by being driven for the reasons I've explained, you know I've also learnt um, you know that you don't get things. If you wait for them to come to you, you have to go and make things happen. And one of the things that's, that's, I guess, defined some of the decisions I've taken in my career is to, to, to want to go and explore things that may be outside of my comfort zone and go and do, do, do things differently. I spent several years 
um, living in Johannesburg in South Africa, uh, working for Cisco, running the South Africa business. Um, you know, moved my family out um, for two and a half years. That was a big, bold step that wasn't without its challenges, but but it it was it fueled this hunger for me to learn and to and to be tested and to have to adapt and to to be out of my comfort zone. I, I then spent some time in the Middle East um, um, more recently. But, but again, it was, you know, I was traveling across the Middle East and Africa. I've seen been some, some amazing countries. I've met some amazing people. And I've seen some of the challenges that exist outside of the, the life that I've led up until those travels. So um, it's definitely both, Justine. You know, I, I, I've, I'm, I can be, need to be grateful to many people. But, but, I, but I've also you know, made a lot of that happen through being driven myself. And if you were... Uh you know, looking back on all of that. And I, I completely agree, I should say, that I think, you know, there's always that saying, travel broadens the mind. And I mean, it is simple, but absolutely true. And I remember when I went into the, you know, DFID role as International Development Secretary, I probably wasn't somebody who'd been able to massively travel the world. I'd, I'd travelled a little bit with business, um, but it was a, it was a complete eye-opener for me in terms of really seeing you know some of the different lives that people led and I guess I, I would always say for me leveling up an international thing I think absolutely totally something right. that I want to drive here in the UK but I think what's good for the UK and what holds here it holds really right the way across the world um, so yeah it really resonates when you sort of say that, that that's part of of you know, almost giving you a perspective of how much opportunity means and how much how important it oh, is. No, no, no question. I'm I'm sitting here, you know, listening to you reflecting back, and I'm reflecting on some of those experiences. And one that that, that really springs to mind, you know, I, I I I doubt I've had a more humbling experience was when I visited. Um, you know, I talked about the net, networking academies earlier, um, and, and my re, my one of my roles was leading the Middle East and Africa. So I travelled a lot across Africa. As well as living in South Africa, and I remember a visit to Kenya uh, in Nairobi, and I visited um, an academy, which was a which was we 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 had this academy with the De it was in partnership with the Deaf Academy. So basically, um, there there was I, I went to a classroom. There were about twelve young um, Kenyan people in that classroom. Um, they were all deaf, uh, and they were learning. ICT skills um, and to see the smiles on their faces apart from anything else was, you know, that will live with me forever. But to to understand that, that in that society that they live, um, you know, that they they were unlikely to be given any, any opportunity because they're deaf. Uh, and therefore the difference you're potentially making by those 12 people, and obviously there were different cohorts that would continue to go through, getting access to learning and learning a skill that, that for which there's a high demand that, that is so life-changing to the alternative life that they would have had is is truly truly humbling and and, and as a side as a side note i mean it, it also i didn't appreciate it until i saw it for, for myself um it also struck me how what great students they were because actually one of the consequences of being deaf is that you don't have you're not distracted because you don't hear what's going on so when you're sitting you know, in front of a tutor or in, in front of a, an online learning, you are fully immersed in that. And some of these students were amazing. We actually took one of them 
um, one of the uh, graduates from that into our local office in Kenya um, and, and, and employed them there. So I, I say that as a little story because it just it just came to my mind when when I was hearing you reflect on my story. It's I mean, it, these things do sort of all um, have a big impact. And I think the key is just channeling them incredibly positively to sort of give you the motivation to do more. And you've obviously I mean, you by no means um, finished in your career, a long way to go, but just already reflecting back on, you know, those experiences. If you were giving yourself some advice now, like a, a younger David, what do you think it would be? Um, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think from a personal point of view, it would, it would be, um, take, perhaps take a bit more risk. Um, you know, things have worked out pretty well for me. I, I you know, I, I wouldn't change anything, but if I, if I knew, you know, at the age of 21, what I know now, um, in terms of, you know, how things would play out, I, I perhaps would have taken a little bit more risk. I would have traveled earlier. When I moved to South Africa, um, I was 30, 43, something like that, when I moved to South Africa. So I certainly would have, have done more of that and done it sooner. Um, so that's probably the advice. And, and, and I suppose also, um, you know, don't worry, it's, everything's going to turn out okay. <laughs> you know, when, you, when young people starting out in life, um, whatever your background is, you know, it's daunting, right? When you, when you, when you finish your education and you get in your first home and you're setting up home and you're trying to build a career, it's pretty daunting. Um, and, and, um, it was no different. It was different in some ways, but not in others when, when, when I was starting out and uh, it turned out okay. So I would have told myself, but don't worry, it, it'll be okay. <laughs> That's good advice. Um, and for you, I mean, what's the best bit of advice you ever got given? Um, it was, it was subliminal advice. So I, I remember, um, one of the, one of the people, um, I, I, one of my first managers, uh, and this was when I was in my sort of mid twenties, um, I can remember going into his office, um, and, and, you know, I had a problem I needed to get, you know, I needed to sort out. Um, and this happened on more than one occasion, by the way, as you might imagine, um, and I, I, it's only in subsequent years that I kind of reflected back on it. Uh, he never, he never answered the question for me. What he used to do was ask me questions because <laughs> he, he obviously knew that I had the ability to figure it out. Um, and, and I always came out with the answer, but not because he gave me the answer, but because he helped me find the answer for myself. Um, so that, you know, I guess that wasn't explicit advice as such, but it was a learning which has really stood me in great stead in something that, you know, you know I guess if you look at who I am as a leader, um, I'm the result of all of the people that I've worked with and for, as I said earlier, and, and, and certainly he's one person who I made a conscious effort to, to, to take that skill and that characteristic and, and use it in, as part of my skills as a leader. Really good stuff. Um, so he talked a little bit about some of the things, you know, that have had an impact on you, but what's your proudest career moment at this point, David? Um, I, I think there are, there are two aspects to that, Justine. Um, I, I'm proud of some of the jobs I've had, the, 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 the things I've been able to do 
and the whole experience, you know, the, the, the Africa and the Middle East stuff I talked about, that was a 10 year journey. I start, started with me moving to Johannesburg and it, and it ended with me um, leaving Dubai to come back to the UK and take on this role. So that all happened in a 10 year period. And um, so many proud moments during that examples of, of, you know, the humbling experience in Kenya, but that whole experience, I'm very proud of that. And I suppose quite fitting the culmination of that, um, uh, that, that journey was, um, you know, the, the business I run, as I said, my day job is to actually grow a business. That's what I'm here to do. And um, we are a global organization. And, and at that time I was running the business for the Middle East and Africa. And um, at the end of the, the that, that last year in that role, um, the Middle East and Africa region was the fastest growing uh, part of Cisco's business worldwide. Uh, and I, I had a very proud moment where I was on stage with our chairman and CEO accepting recognition on behalf of the Middle East and Africa team for being the best team in Cisco that year. So um, uh, it wasn't just that moment, it was a culmination of sort of 10 years of, of, of a journey. And hopefully um, when you can at some point look back on what the Cisco Networking Academy is doing, all of your work on Cisco apprenticeships, you know, that'll be another time when you can reflect hopefully on a job really well done that's had huge impact. I hope so. Good. Now, one last curveball question, which is favourite book and or favourite movie? Uh, that's, easy. that's easy. That's <laughs> easy. Um, favourite book is Shantaram. Mm. Have you read it? No, I have not. Tell, it, tell us it. more. Um, it's, uh, well, <laughs> there's say, a funny story here. <laughs> there's a funny story here because I'm, I'm not, I'm not an avid reader, actually. Um, so the funny story is, my, my, where's my wife? She loves reading. Um, so she read this book called Shantaram, and she, and, and she, was, she couldn't put it down. Um, and, and I was curious about it, and we were going on a, on a couple of weeks' holiday. So um, she gave the book to me. First thing, uh, I, I take a few, a few hours to get my head around starting a book. I look at it. I look at the size of it. And this is 900 pages, by the way. Um, <laughs> Okay. But but once I it picked sounds, it up, it I sounds it as down. meaty as the Mirror and the Light by Hilary Mantel, which I've I've been just desperately trying to work my way through for some months. Now. Okay. But anyway, well, I, back I, to you. I, I I I cannot recommend Shantaram highly enough. It will make one day the most amazing film. Um, it's about a guy. I think he's um I think he's from New Zealand. He's uh, he's kind of on the run from New Zealand for for, for things that he did there. He ends up. Um, in in um, the, in India and then Afghanistan gets involved in the Afghanistan war. Um, it's, it's 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 a love affair. It's just a an amazing story about this guy and his life and 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 what he gets involved in and exposed to. And there's lots of parallels to you know real life things like the Afghanistan war and so on. So um, it's just it's just an epic epic novel, and we'll make an amazing film. Um, hopefully it will get made one day soon. Um, so I recommend it highly. And then um, film is easy. Uh, it's Godfather 2. <laughs> and why Simple. have you picked that one? Um, I, 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 yeah, I, obviously, I think, you're not suggesting you have a ma mafia style. Of, no, uh, I'm not. I'm not at all. But, but, sounds but like I do have. Yeah, I'm not. But I but I, I guess <laughs> I grew up with a sort of fascination around the Casa Nostra and um, and um, and that that sort of fictional element to it, um, I think it's a great 
story, great acting, um, and and Godfather Two as opposed to Godfather One because the acting and the storyline and the way it changes different timelines. It's just uh, I, I don't know whether you whether you've seen it, but it's it's epic. A close run between that and Shawshank Redemption, but Godfather <laughs> Two just gets it for me. Well, I've seen the Shawshank Redemption. I have not, I have to confess, seen any of the Godfather movies. So I am now going to change that and watch them. And I've already found Shantaram on Amazon. It's by a man. This is for people listening to this. By a man called Gregory David Roberts. Um, and this is how good it is, people. It is five and a half, well, four and a half star, stars after 9,000 reviews. That actually is genuinely very conclusive <laughs> reviewing on Amazon for a great book. So it's been fantastic having you on, David. Um, it's just brilliant being able to partner with you, particularly on Leveling Up Goal 10, The Digital Divide. Just superb to have Cisco on board um, as an organisation. And I think just really, really great to be able to, in a way, just scratch the surface about some of the stuff you're doing. But I hope people listening to this have got a really good sense of not just what you're doing outside of Cisco, but also, you know, what you're doing inside Cisco um, as a as a as an employer for your own staff and and careers and all of that. So it's been a pleasure having you on, David Meese, Chief Exec of Cisco UK and Ireland. Thank you very very much for doing this podcast. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And and I I would just say that that you know I, I'm the uh, the mouthpiece of Cisco UK and Ireland. All of the work that you've heard me talk about is 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 because there's some amazing people who work in Cisco UK and Ireland, and, and you know a number of those. So yeah, we're we're very proud and privileged to be partnering with you on this, and thank you for your leadership in in, in making this all happen. Thank you.